Today is a brand new day. And you have a choice to start transforming your life. Because when you commit to find the keys to unlock your true potential, you will unleash your superhuman powers. If you want to discover how to crush self-doubt, master productivity, bend time, accelerate your learning and more, you need to join us today. Because this is the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Friends, welcome to the world of miracles. Hello and welcome back to the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. My superhuman guest today is Dayu Patel. Dayu is coming to us from Washington, D.C. He is a competitive intelligence professional, a sales velocity SME, a serial entrepreneur, an unbeatable mind coach, a time coach, and an author of the Superhuman Playbook. He has worked extensively with special forces teams, intelligence agencies, countless businesses and entrepreneurs to maximize results through time bending. Now, for those listening wondering what any of that means, today is your lucky day because we're going to get to the bottom of it. In this episode, Dayu shares the revelation he had while walking to and from an aquarium, the counterintuitive strategy he has developed to stop wasting time and get stuff done, and how you can change your relationship to time through a process he calls time bending. All that and more in today's episode with Dayu Patel. Hey, Dayu, what's going on, man? Hey, how you doing, Colin? Doing really good. Super excited to chat with you today. I think this is going to be a special one. I am excited to be here. Well, Dayu, I've already shared with everybody uh, a little bit about you, and there was kind of a lot to share, so I'm sure I didn't cover all the bases, but I know that everybody who's listening maybe one of their first thoughts is what the heck is a time coach and how does somebody become one? Can you share a little bit about that, that story and that role? Yeah, sure. Sure thing. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, over the, over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, I've always been into productivity and looking for faster ways of doing things. Um, It wasn't until maybe seven, eight years ago that I realized I was, I was strongly attracted to timers. I love timers. I, I started collecting timers ever since I was a teenager, um, hardware, software related ones, et cetera. And I had no idea I was interested in the time compression, you know, reducing the time it takes to get something done, which is opposite of Parkinson's law. But, but the label that I've received from friends and people that have hired me is they call me their time coach. And, Really what it's more about, it's less about productivity and strategies and techniques. It's more about your relationship to time. Um, how do you perceive time? How do you view time? Most people from, from what they share with me is that they, review, they view time as the enemy, right? They view time as something they're always trying to get in control of. And so it's always a chase that they tend to lose. And they may win once or twice a month. Uh, they may have their notorious to-do list and they may feel great when they cross everything out. Uh, again, they may have a productivity hack where they reduce the to-do list, they still cross everything out, uh, but they still feel behind or they feel caught up to time. So me being a time coach is not only to help people change their relationship to time and 
help them see time not as the enemy, but to see time as an ally, as, as an entity that's here to support our greater good if we use time in the right way. So if we can use time against itself in a positive way, in a good stress way, we'll actually get to results that we've only desired and we usually think takes a lot longer to actually get to those results. So really a time coach is really looking at the psychology of time and looking at your psychology to time. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I'm also still confused. <laughs> so uh, I'm guessing, well, of course, that means that you figured out how to change your relationship to time. What did that process look like? Was it just like a light bulb switched one day and you're like, oh, I can bend time now? <laughs> or was it more uh, systematic or was there a special story that, that changed things for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I started observing, you know, when time slows down and when time speeds up. I mean, for me, when I was young, I always, I used to go to the aquarium store on Saturday mornings and I was really big into fish. I wasn't allowed to have dogs or any physical animals. So <laughs> an aquarium was the only thing I was allowed to have in my, in my, uh, in my apartment. And so every time I would walk to the pet shop, I would feel it took a long time. I feel like the distance would always increase. And then every time I would walk back home, it would just feel like, oh, this is not far at all. It's very close. So something as simple like that has always caught my attention on why and when does time feel long and slower than others. And it always ends up being the experience you have uh, during some kind of time increment. So it's, it's always been my fascination about how do we feel in 10 minutes? How do we feel in 15 minutes? And what kind of experience do you need to have within a certain time increment uh, to feel a certain way about time? You know, so those are the, my general curiosity that's always caught my interest. And, and the same with the SATs when you had 75 seconds to answer each question, you know, for two months after two months, I was able to actually put my clothes on, pack my knapsack and open the front door of my home. And I was able to do that in 75 seconds. And that's where I was able to experience time slowing down because I was in this very unconscious state and not doing a lot of cerebral or, or prefrontal cortex thinking. I see. Uh, you just mentioned the SAT and then getting ready and going out the door. How are those connected? So for 70, I wanted to know what I could do in 75 seconds. I see. Um, so this way, when I'm actually taking the SATs, I don't have to look at a clock or look at anything, I could have my own perception of time and my clock in the background. So when I answer each question, I could pace myself. For me, it was about pacing, so I don't feel like I'm rushed. So how do you know how a certain span of time feels if it can feel different? <laughs> you know, yeah. if that can change, like how can you tell? Yeah, I love, I love that question because feeling time when you, you know, just really puts you into this deep, maybe meditative state. So simple way to do that is just take a stopwatch, start with 10 seconds, close your eyes, start the stopwatch and try to feel what 10 seconds feels like as far as space, right? Then you obviously stop the stopwatch, you open your eyes and you look at it. And if you're anywhere from like two, two seconds above and below, that's normal at the 10 second mark, right? Then you try to get it to the one second mark. And then some people can eventually, if you keep practicing, you'll actually feel 10 seconds and be accurate at the 10 second mark. But what you end up doing is you kept you keep increasing the time 
with the stopwatch. So you go 15 seconds and you go 20 seconds. You, you start the stopwatch, you stop it when you feel 20 seconds has elapsed. And usually the Delta or the, or the accuracy falls, falls shorter. So which means you might be three seconds above and below. So the more you increase the time, the harder it is to realize, Oh my God, that's 30 seconds. I felt like one minute. And so you start increasing your spatialness, your time spatialness to what time feels like. Because then when you get to really feel 10 seconds, you start convincing yourself and believing that 10 seconds is really a long time. You know, you can probably do like, you know, four or five pushups really quickly in 10 seconds. And that might be the hardest five pushups you've done because you're in time compression and you're trying to do one pushup every two seconds. Um, which is harder than doing five pushups in 30 seconds, right? Gotcha. Okay. So this first part with the timers is about developing almost like a physical intuition for how time feels. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So then I guess the next question would be now that, you know, I've built this intuition and I've got a pretty good internal clock. How do I then bend time as I've heard you call it and then make that time work for me. Yeah. So the way we can do that, right? Again, it's it's once you know what 10 or 30 seconds really feels like, it's really more of a matter now of what can you do in 30 seconds, right? And you tend to you you tend to experience over time if you really push the envelope, it's just like going to the gym and working out. And you're working out some muscles that are weak and it just takes persistence and grit to kind of push through to kind of develop those muscles. Same with time. Um, Bending the time barrier requires you to take something that you can normally do in 30 seconds um, and then asking yourself, can you do it in 20? Can you find a faster way to do it in 20 seconds? And if you start thinking along those lines of shaving off five or 10 seconds, you end up really experiencing ability to bend time in the sense that doesn't really take me 30 seconds anymore. It takes me 20 seconds to get done. Now, if you take that and you apply it again, say 20 minute task that you can now eventually do in 17 or 16, you start peeling it back. You're actually are bending time um, because you're bending your relationship to time. Number one, that's the first premise. Your psychology to time is automatically changing during that. So you're able to warp time in your own time reference, right? Just like when you go into an elevator and you throw something up in the air, you know, it's, it's going to land in your hands regardless. Right. So it's about your time reference that you're changing. And that's how, that's how you end up feeling like you can bend time. And when you have that belief that you can actually bend time, then you feel so powerful against time that you say, Oh, well, what else can I do? Like, if you think about an eight-hour task that would normally take you eight hours, because that's what you're used to, then you start challenging yourself. Like, wait a minute, what if I can get it done in two hours? And that's where the that that's where the concept starts seeping in, and that's where people start doing some amazing things in less time. But it's about that belief, just like with memory, right? It's like getting people to believe that they have a great memory, um, and once you do that, then they're able to achieve different things that they weren't able to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Going back to the story, you said when you'd walk to this, was it a pet store? Or an yeah, aquarium? Aquarium. an aquarium. Okay, walk, yeah. Walking to and from that, one way felt like a long time. And the other way, even though it was the same distance and it probably took you roughly the same time, maybe you were walking faster, I don't know, um, felt a lot shorter. Have you 
figured out how to actually change how things feel kind of on command? Can you say, all right, I want this, I want time to go by faster now. <laughs> I want time yeah. to go by slower. Cause that would have helped me a lot in school. I was always staring at the clock <laughs> for eight hours a day. <laughs> Felt like an eternity. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, it, it has something to do with playfulness and activity and intention, right? Um, so it's like when I want time to feel uh, long and paused, it's, some, it's usually when I'm spending time with friends and family. And so it's the intensity that I put into the intention of that time I'm spending with them. And the one way that I get through it is by feeling ahead of time, which I'm using another concept now. So I apologize for that. But it's, it's when I feel ahead of time that I feel like I have this space where I can create this new intention, intention around time where I really feel like then I can slow down time. When I was going to the pet shop, it was it, it, it was the. It, it was it was a it was a new journey. It was a new pathway, right? For the for that Saturday. So let's say if I went every Saturday, it still felt new. My brain was recording the steps and the pathway, the scenery and the weather and the elements and the smell. So as I'm recording that, and now I'm walking back, now it's a memory, right? So so it's kind of imprinted in my brain. So nothing is new. Anytime something feels new, it just feels longer. Um, so as I'm walking back home things were already recorded. So I'm just playing back a recording. So nothing was new unless I saw a new person or something, but that didn't really matter. It was just the distance I was recording and the experience to cover that distance. Um, it just always felt shorter because when I was happy, I was in the aquarium. I probably got some fish, right? Probably, probably really excited to get home and put them in my aquarium and set it all up and stuff. And so it was that excitement. I wasn't necessarily walking faster, not at all. Uh, walking at the same pace. But again, I came back to that emotions and that feeling. So to answer your question more concretely, it really depends on the emotions and the feelings you put behind it. So let's say if I went and I'm taking a class that I'm not, I find this boring. It's when you start asking yourself, well, what, what do I want to get out of this, this, this uh, 60 minute class, right? What can I do to make this fun for me? And it's when you start making things fun that your relationship to time starts changing in that moment. And that's, that's a simple way of being able to uh, make time feel slow or make it feel long. I remember, I didn't meet, I haven't met a friend like in 10 years and we decided to go to a coffee shop and we were just shooting the shit and, you know, three hours went by and it really felt like one hour. Right. And it's that's about the experience that we were creating for one another. Um, so it's an emotion. The emotion is what really helps you. And so if you're taking a boring class, how do you change your emotion, emotions about that boring subject? How do you change your emotions around doing house chores or whatever? Because you, you can bend, you can make yourself feel like you're bending time in something very boring. Got it. I think I'm missing something here. So uh, you talked about in order to make something feel longer, getting more intentional, more focused on it, more interested in it, right? Yeah. But then the conversation with your friend, I'm assuming that was something you enjoyed and you were, it was intentional and you were focused on it and yet that felt shorter. So what's the disconnect there? What am I missing? So, yeah. So that was an interesting use case of where it was so, uh, so exciting. 
Um, at the same time, it was so engaging. So, so there was less pause. So when there's speed, right, when there's speed and energy, um, something that takes a very long time can feel a very short time. So the fact that there wasn't a lot of casualness, there wasn't a lot of pausing, there wasn't a lot of slowness, um, it really felt like we did so much in three hours that it just felt like time was shorter because it was so much fun and so much engagement, but it was actually three hours. So when we looked at our clock and we're like, oh my God, I feel like I've been here for an hour. It was almost like going through a time machine or warp speed. It's when you feel like you're in warp speed that that time, when you look at your clock, you're like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe it's it's elapsed so much time when it when it was really, you know, a shorter, it felt like a shorter duration. So there's there's kind of a, an experiment there that you would have to experiment with speed of conversation, uh, the energy around certain topics that kind of make things feel shorter or longer. And sometimes they can play against each other. Gotcha. Would you be uh, open and interested in performing like a little mini time coaching session on this call? <laughs> Why not, man? Why not? Okay. I think it always helps to see something in action. So if I hired you as my, my time coach and I said, man, I just feel like I'm always behind, what would be some of the first questions you'd ask her or what, what would you, how would you lead that discussion? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the first, the first question I would ask is, you know, how often, when do you feel ahead? I mean, that, that would be my first question, right? Because if you're feeling behind, I really want to know what was a, an experience you had where you actually fell ahead and what was that? Okay. Right? So maybe, maybe I would say when I was in college, there was this one rare week where I actually, you know, I, I said, I'm going to get all my work done by Wednesday instead of Friday. And, you know, for once in my life, I actually did it. And that was when I felt ahead. Gotcha. So, so self-perceived deadlines are good right? Very hard to achieve, um, but good. Now, I would want to dissect that some more to find out what made that a little bit more intentional and a little bit more disciplined for you, you know, during those three days, we would want to peel that back. Because we want to find out why, why, what made that week so different than other weeks? You know, did, you know, did you have a new girlfriend, right? Where you're like, you know, flo floating on air kind of thing? you know, was the subject or did you have some kind of clarity or focus that was kind of driving you, mm -hmm. right? So finding those motivators, those, the driving force, basically dissecting that week would be good. And then finding other things. I bet you we can probably find some other times that you felt ahead and trying to understand why um, and how. And yeah, I think, I think I could answer that. I think uh, because this actually happened a couple of times in college. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I felt behind most of the time until the last couple, couple, at least the first few years I felt, I felt behind, but, um, the times when I felt ahead, when those self-imposed deadlines actually worked is usually when I had something that I was really excited about coming up that I needed to get things done early in order to do, or at least not to be stressed about. So for example, maybe there are a bunch of assignments due the next Monday and where I would usually work on them during the weekend. Well, if I have awesome weekend plans, I want to make sure to finish them before the weekend and or so I don't have to work <laughs> or think about them or be doing it like Sunday night from like 2 to 5 a.m. 
So I think those that happened a few times, I think, where where I felt ahead because of that. And that that's a great driver to be able to have your weekends completely free, fully, fully, fully immersed, fully present. Right. And not like if, if we were to come up with, hey, a time on Friday that you just want to end by. So from Monday through Friday, you kind of run hard, run proactively as well. At what time on Friday do you want to feel ahead for the weekend so that you've got this feel ahead emotion for like 48 hours? So then what would you need to achieve by Wednesday and Friday for you to go into the weekend where you don't feel compelled that you have to do something or you don't feel like you're behind, that you have to catch up on something? So to give you a 48 hour of do whatever the F you want feeling right what what would you have to accomplish on wednesday as a mid-mark and then by friday what are those activities and i would start to question are you choosing the right activities and why right and then asking you how long is it going to take you to get those done and then obviously breaking it down and thinking it through so we break it down into like mini tasks and uh using time compression against that so if the weekends, if having your weekends completely free where you don't have to do anything because you're tired of that trying to catch up feeling on the weekends and how you're just losing your weekends repeatedly, if that's what drives you and we can paint a vision around what you would really see yourself doing Saturdays and Sundays, if you can just not have to do actually any work, then that's what we would tie ourselves to for the feel ahead driving force, so to speak. So if I'm understanding this right, um, I think maybe the key here is, is that you need to really understand the value of that, what you call do whatever the F you want time yeah, <laughs> and why that's valuable to you and how much you want. Because I'm just thinking, you know, being a coach myself, I've walked people through this kind of exercise before. And one thing that, that tends to happen is like, well, this weekend, I don't have a special vacation. I don't have, you know, any special plans. I still would really like to get everything done by Friday, but I don't feel like I have that pressing need. And so the weekends where it's just a free weekend ends up, stuff just ends up spilling into it. What would you say yeah. in that situation? Yeah, but then I would say that we need to really find a driving force of what you would do with an extra 48 hours, like nonstop, right? So if you have 48 hours consistency, there's a lot of productivity systems out there that says, oh, I'll give you an hour back every day. That's great. But what if you actually have 48 hours, continuous 48 hours to do whatever you wanted to do, right? What would that look like for you? You know, that's what I would want to get to the bottom line on. Um, I do know that many people, some people get angry about always feeling behind. So let's say if you wanted to binge watch, right? Let's say you wanted to actually, so I had one, one client who <laughs> um, I made him go into the mall to waste time. I just wanted him to waste four hours of time. Right. <laughs> so, so he's always, I gotta do this. I gotta, I gotta maximize, right? Everyone's in the productivity mindset. Oh, I gotta do this. I gotta maximize my time. I said, okay, great. Let's go in the opposite direction. Right. Let's walk through wasting time. Instead of being afraid about wasting your time, let's actually embrace wasting time, right? So I said, listen, go to the mall, just walk around, be there for four hours, right? Start seeing what comes up in your mind 
about what would you like to do with your time? Because usually when you're in a very boring situation, you sometimes get to a clarity point of view, like, man, this is what I really wish I was doing right now, right? And so anyway, he went to the mall. He sat on the bench. He went to, I told him, go to places you would never go. So he went to like a, a swimwear store. He went to a female garment store. I mean, he just went everywhere, a game store, whatever. And after like two hours, he was just bored shit out of his mind. And um, he didn't want to wait for the full four hours. He had this instant clarity of what he wanted to do with the rest of his time. And uh, that was really to get into CrossFit, like do more CrossFit, get into the CrossFit competition. He really loved working out. He had a passion for it, but he never made time for it. And in his mind, it took too long to work out. Right. So he didn't know what it was like to experience guilt free time to work out, like just having time to work out and having that space. So he actually went to the gym. He worked out for two hours um, and he enjoyed that. And he was like, this is what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to go and work out stress free that I'm not trying to squeeze a workout in. I'm not trying to get a workout in. I've got five hours. And this is what I tell my clients of F you time. Wouldn't it be great if you had F you time, you could do whatever the hell you want. I had another client that always felt guilty watching uh, Netflix, binging, right? I said, all right, well, let's get you to a point where you have F you time to binge whatever you want, put your feet up on the table, do, you know, just enjoy eight hours without being guilty or feeling guilty that you're wasting your time, you're not being productive, et cetera. And this was the game changed for some of these people. To be able to do things that they want to do, but they feel guilty that they're actually wasting time. Now they're doing those things and not feeling guilty at all, but feeling like they've got F you time that they can throw away whatever they want. And that's powerful. You feel powerful. And again, this is a way of using time against time, right? Why does time control us and we don't control time? And that goes back to that time bending aspect of things, right? is that we don't need to have the time machine. We don't need to go to warp nine speed. It's really about, you know, how we're choosing to allocate time to get certain things done so that we can actually go into a, a, a uh, duration of time feeling ahead and having that feel ahead emotion last for more than 10 or 20 minutes so that you can put your feet up on the table and do whatever the heck you want. That is really interesting. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a coach say that they told a client to go walk around in a mall doing nothing for four hours. That's, <laughs> that's a good one. So have you found that to be sustainable or do you find that it's necessary to have that kind of experience on maybe a semi-regular basis? Like, did you have to send them to the mall again? I did it because it's, it's like a, it was so painful for him, right? It's it's it was so painful for him that he can rem he could he can remember that feeling, and so for him he didn't need to do that again, um, because he understood what the feel ahead emotion was. Like he understood how valuable that was to him to have, because it always put him in a position of power. It always put him in a position to be able to choose and master how he spends his time, and so. I had another person where I said, you know, they like to, they like to watch me. They were addicted to TV. They were addicted to movies and stuff like that. So I said, all right, listen, I'm going to give you permission. I want you to watch 
48 hours of TV programming. Just boom, just full, just 48 hours, just do it. Immerse yourself in it. And then tell me how you felt afterwards, right? So similar to the guy walking into the mall. And so he did it. You know, he did it 48 hours. That wasn't enough, though, for him to actually feel the pain of it, right? So then I said, all right, the next weekend comes along, you know, to take a day off. And he had days off that he can take. He wasn't worried about it. 72 hours. He said, watch TV for 72 hours. You know, watch whatever you want. I didn't want to just prescribe certain shows. And he did it for 72 hours. And again, because he was so addicted to watching TV and watching shows and stuff like that, after 72 hours, he came out of that going, wow, my brain is fried. I'm frazzled. Um, I really don't want to do that ever again. You know, I don't want to waste 72 hours just watching stuff that just made my brain fry. I mean, he could have been watching documentaries and he, he mixed it all up. Uh, sitcoms and all that stuff, but 72 hours. See, when we when we uh, disperse it, right? So when we watch TV for one or two hours, and you add that up over 365 days, you still won't experience what he experienced for 72 hours straight, because you're breaking it up, right? You're not feeling the pain. You're not feeling the pain of what you've lost. You're not feeling the pain of what else you should be doing or could be doing, or feeling value that you can add to your life or to others. And for him, he was like, oh, my God, I don't want to I'm not adding value sitting in front of the TV. That's what came up for him. Everyone else might have something different, but he wanted to add value, not just to himself, but to outside of himself. He didn't necessarily say to people. He didn't really sell. To, he didn't say to planet Earth. He just felt he felt this inkling to add value outward is what he said. And that's what that did for him. Now, what he did after that is he got rid of his TV. He didn't have any TVs in his house and he shut down his YouTube channel because he realized that that was just taking up an hour, two hours every day. And again, if you add them up, it's not that painful usually. So he shut that all down. And so he just wanted to be in a state of contribution. And so he kind of found out what that was for him. So this is the kinds of things we have to do. It's good to walk through the things that you say are wasting your time and, and, and just go deep dive into it until you get to a point of, I really hate that. I don't want to do it again. Or you know what? This is what I'm going to turn this into something positive. And you just might take a snapshot of that, whatever it was, as, as you perceive as a bad habit or a bad behavior. And you can turn it into a good behavior by maybe turning it around and adding more intention around it or, or maybe only giving it for 20 minutes versus two hours. It just depends. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So has that that client still no TV as far as you know? And yeah, no, no, no TV, because again, it's really about in, in from when I do time coaching, it's really about tapping in and creating a new emotion that you can feel in your body. Productivity is not something you can feel in your body. It's, it's an idea, right? Productivity is an idea. Uh, but feeling ahead is an emotion, right? It's an emotion that we leave on the table a lot because we seldomly do feel ahead, right? We feel caught up, if anything. And then we feel behind. So it's a constant struggle between feeling caught up and feeling behind, but the whole feel ahead thing is new. Gotcha. And I know we are running up on time a little bit here, but as you've exampled, you can get a lot done in a few minutes. So yeah. <laughs> I want to jump into, so your chapter in the superhuman playbook is called productivity is social. And 
I know at least for me, especially a few years ago and for a long time, I thought when I think of productivity, I think of there's no one else around. You are by yourself, heads down at work. You are focused. You're locked in. You know, if somebody is somebody else is part of that, they're a distraction. So when you say productivity is social, are you saying, no, we should be working with other people that heads down time isn't actually productive? Yeah. So I am, uh, you know, it goes back to what's happening to, to, to how we're wired as, as, as human beings. And when I was building a company once, you know, my co-founder was in front of me <clears throat> and what we decided to do was compete against each other. You know, she was working on some slides. I was working on some slides and we said, all right, well, get your slides done in 20 minutes. I'll get my slides. So we raced against the clock, right? What ended up happening is this thing that I call human energy exchange. Human energy exchange happens when you're bounded by time and you're working against to get something done, but in a social aspect, right? And so that was an experience. Same thing I did in the gym. I used to like to compete with my coach. I didn't want my coach just to say, okay, do this, do that, do that. And they're just standing around with a timer, their clipboard or whatever. I say, do it with me, right? And that's the best workouts I've ever had is when I actually have to follow my trainer and match what they're doing. Again, human energy exchange, right? Um, when you look at the productivity world, yeah, it is solo. There's no accountability. There's no true accountability, right? Uh, you're left to your own accord to get something done. So when you look at COVID, right? I started interviewing a lot of my acquaintances and friends to say, hey, You've always said if you had all the time in the world, you would do this, right? Are you doing it, right? And and for and I, and I started talking about maybe two or three months after quarantine. And what I found was a pattern was a lot of them said, no, I didn't do what I wanted to do. Some did, but, but not a majority. Uh, they wasted, they squandered their time. And the issue, the issue there was time discipline. So if they made if they made productivity social, if they actually called out and reached their friend and said, listen, I'm going to get this done in like an hour, right? What are you going to get done in an hour, right? And you hold each other accountable. And then in one hour, you call each other and go, this is what I did, right? There's a human energy exchange in there that we're, that we're leaving on the table because we feel that making productivity social is wasting time or taking time away or taking focus away from getting it done when actually it adds intensity. It adds more clarity. It adds human engagement. It adds human energy. Um, it makes you feel good. Uh, oxytocins are being released. Um, it's just a whole bunch of benefits that we're leaving on the table because we're so wired that you need to close the door, you need to shut off all your devices, right? Shut off all your messaging and just get it done. And then we'd probably use the Pomodoro technique or whatever. But you're in solo mode. Right. When you operate in solo mode, it's interesting. But when you look at like a Navy SEAL, or you look at um, elite operating teams that get a lot done in less amount of time it's because there's a high social engagement in there. That's really interesting. So I know, spoiler alert, I've read <laughs> I've read your chapter. Um, so I know there there's a technique that you describe in there that really encapsulates how you can take advantage of this human energy transfer and you can put some time pressure on things. Um, can you tell me really quickly about power-up calls? How does that work and how can somebody perform one of those and start trying that kind of thing today? 
Yeah, sure. And before I go into that, I, I must also talk about the science that it's rooted in, right? Okay. So there's a science called pro-social science. And I, I reached out to the people that conducted some of the experiments at Harvard, Harvard and Stanford and UCLA. And really what it is, it's real simple. I mean, they have a lot of technical jargon stuff. But really what it is, is if you give someone 45 minutes of your time, you'll actually get back 75 minutes. So here's how that works, right? You'll get back when you actually help someone move forward in their day. So that's the thing. It depends on how you help someone determines on what kind of impact it gives back to you, right? So if you're helping an old lady cross the street, it's very different than helping a friend get something done in a certain amount of time and holding them accountable to it. So in pro-social science, what they what they realize is that, again, 45 for 75, right? And a lot of us can't even think about giving that kind of time to anyone because we're so caught up in the urgency of our day. So pep calls were a way to kind of put a framework around calling someone, removing all the bullshit from conversations, all the niceties and the pleasantries about the weather and sports, and just asking someone, hey, you know, what is the hardest thing that you need to get done in your day? And have them tell you what that is. Then try to help them break it down and think it through. Like, what do you need to do to get that done? Do you have all the pieces? You don't. All right. Well, you need to call Jane or John. Okay. So you can ask them how to get, maybe you need some data from them, right? To be, to be, be able to get to the end. You, you can't basically, you can't speed up anything unless you know how to get to the end, all the sequence and steps. But in a pep, in a power up call, what you want to do, it's like a 10 or a 15 minute call. You both announce that going in that, hey, this is a 10, 15 minute call. And you kind of time it, whatever. And you kind of say the one or two things you need to get done in your day or the one or two things that would make you feel ahead of your day, which is a better dialogue. Or you can even ask them what would energize you if you were to get this done in your day and by what time. And you basically give each other like, you know, equal amount of time to kind of talk through it. And you're kind of creating more of a fast conversation. And then once you can get them to commit to the action steps and the time that they're going to get it done by, then you basically either text them or you check in with them at that time. And they'll do the same with you. It's, it works when it's both ways. It doesn't work when one person is holding the other person accountable. That's never usually a lot of fun. And then it doesn't create that human energy exchange. And that's, that's powerful. That's what I've seen. When people do that for 20 to 22 days straight, the massive results they get are astounding. I had one guy that was trying to close a two, a $2.2 million deal with USAID, right? A, a government agency. And he was a solopreneur, had his own consulting business, right? It was when I put him in these tribes that had this mindset of power-up calls where they would talk for 15 minutes every day. He closed a $2.2 million deal in 22 days as a result of these power-up calls. So again, they're shorter and more frequent. You can think of them as a scrum call on crack, right? Because from calls don't usually end on time. They're not usually focused and uh, they try to be, um, but this is like everyday use case of that, of, of that framework. But again, it's rooted in pro-social science. So as long as you're genuinely showing up to support someone forward and help them accomplish something hard in the day, and they're doing that for you, it's just a game changer. And we ran an experiment on Facebook uh, with a bunch of people, strangers too, that were open to it. And we just called people randomly and it was just the ultimate game changer. So having having read your chapter and having actually done this a couple of times, I'd say one of the, the key parts of this that you mentioned, but people might not have picked up on is that those conversations are timed. You actually do have a timer. Um, so when I've done these, I just pull up a 
a timer on the screen, set it for 10 minutes. And then an important part of it is actually announcing, here's how much time we have. Here's where we're ending. You might say a specific, you know, we're ending at 7.30 or if you're in different time zones, you can just establish that. But, um, and then throughout the call, actually reminding each other at that time, hey, we've got five minutes left. We're halfway through. Hey, we've got one minute left. Hey, we got 30 seconds left. I found that that, that was really helpful because it's easy to say, all right, we're gonna have a 10 minute call. Right. And then you just end up talking for half an hour. <laughs> exactly. But if you're reminding yourself, Oh, no, we're, we're halfway through at this point. It, it keeps you very aware of how much time you're spending um, yeah. and keeps you from wasting it too. So yeah, I, I, I found those to be really effective, really interesting. And another aspect of it is just the fact that it's really short-term accountability, which I think a lot of times when people struggle with accountability, it's like, Hey, what are we going to get done this month? all right, I'll check in at the end of the month or at the end of the week. And it's like, did you get it done? No. Oh, <laughs> bummer. Maybe next week. But if it's all right, you've got 30 minutes. I'll check back in 30 minutes. It's a lot more likely something's going to happen. And if it doesn't, then you can course correct a lot faster than if you have to wait a week to, to get feedback. So those quick and, feedback loops. And you absolutely nailed it. That That's it. I mean, sometimes people pay $350 for a coach to check in on them, but if you've got friends and social circles, it's free, right? It's like, I call it free human energy that you're just leaving out on the table, that you're not harnessing it and focusing it in the right direction, right? As long as we all want to help each other be better or get more things done or get the right things done, um, we can all help each other just energize the planet that way. You know what I mean? Just through simple time compression, right? A little bit of good stress in there and, and using a timer right? Uh, as our guide, again, using time in a good way, using time against time uh, with positive intentions, with uh, social good really is a game changer. And, um, and as, uh, this is going to be a plug for me, but you know, the fact that you said, you know, that you had to remind where you are in time, I'm actually creating my own timer and it's called pace me, but it will allow you, nobody has to remember where they are in time. It will actually announce where you are in time. So it'll actually be the facilitator. Um, I'm actually integrating into Zoom as well. So now you can pace your meetings and actually end meetings on time. And it will actually drop the meeting. So there's no extension. There's no like, oops, I got to keep going. Now the whole brain is fully engaged, both left and right hemisphere, when you know that something has to end within a certain time duration. So I want these power-up calls to really be easy. And if you just set up a zoom call with someone, you can use this technology um, and do 15 minute calls or 10 minute calls with your friends, your family, your sister, your mother, and do power up calls with everyone and make it more frequent. That's the goal. But yeah, you're right. If you're on the phone for 20, 30, 40 minutes, it's not going to happen. And that's, that's a fear that I think a lot of people have with power up calls initially. And it's really about moderating it, maybe having a timer on speaker, your phone on speaker and having a timer run in the background. Um, but yes, you're right. That's what makes the game changer. You said that was called pace me. Is that available? Pace me. Or is it still in well, it's not, it's not available yet. It's in beta. I'd love to share it with you. So you can try yeah. it out. Oh, I definitely will. But uh, pace me is with two E's and that website's not up yet, but it will be coming up shortly we just have a bunch of people testing it out now um and it's actually got a social component to it called burn the boats where you can announce to a tribe that you're going to get something done in a certain amount of time and i'll send a text message out to everybody 
your timer will start counting down near your device. And then at the end of time, the system will ask you, okay, is there a picture that you want to take? Or do you want to just let everybody know if you completed it or not? So you can have evidence and proof. And that creates a ripple effect of human energy exchange because if someone sees you getting a lot of shit done, then they're going to want to get a lot of stuff done. <laughs> and it keeps going back and forth. So. All right, Dai. Well, this has been super helpful, super interesting. And uh, last 10 seconds, any closing remarks or key takeaways What's or something that someone can do right now to change the relationship <laughs> to time? You know, I, I would just say, you know, pick something for 30 seconds, like, like reading an email or going through an email and doing a response, see how long it takes you and just ask yourself, can I just shave 10 seconds off that response from my next email? See what answers come up, right? Can, can you just do a cut and paste? Um, just try to find a faster way to do something that you do repeatedly um, and challenge yourself. I like, I like using a three click or less model. Um, if it takes you more than three clicks, you're not using your full brain capacity to figure out how to do it in less steps. So, so if you open up a browser and you go to a website you go to, well, how do you do it in one click? How can you do it in one click less? And that will start creating a paradigm in you to kind of start seeing things differently and trying to see if you can reduce the steps to get it done, which will give you less time. So Amazing. Well, I'm going to try that out today. I've got my work cut out for me. hope our <laughs> listeners will too. But Dayu, as always, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on here today. It's a pleasure, Colin. Thank you for the great questions and uh, for the opportunity to talk freely. That was awesome. Sure. All right. Let's talk soon. You got it, my friend. Take care.